I'm not asking you to respond, but maybe you will share in a dream similar to this. Have you ever had a dream where you were, um, well, the semester was almost over or the school year was almost over, and all of a sudden in this dream you realize, I've forgotten to go to this one class. And, and you know, just like it hits you and, and like you're thinking, how am I going to get caught up in all the schoolwork and the tests and, and how am I going to pass? Because you just totally forgot the, uh, the, that, that particular class. Um, had a psychology class one time many years ago, and, and they talked about certain dreams that were kind of like classic dreams that meant certain things. And that was one of those dreams that a lot of people have where you forget an appointment that you have. And uh, while that's just a dream, sometimes we have missed some really important meetings. I, I remember a few years ago I had attended a funeral and uh, the preacher that was to conduct the funeral had not shown up, uh, shown up, and uh, it, it got right down, and the funeral director came to me and said, listen, there are no preachers here, and this man has not shown up. We need you to do the funeral. I didn't even know the person, uh, but I was in that position, but the man finally showed up. He almost missed the funeral. A few years ago, I was sitting at home, watching television. I got a phone call from an area congregation, and he said, uh, you supposed to be somewhere? And I said, no. And he said, well, how about here tonight? We have a gospel meeting, and you're supposed to be speaking. I didn't know that. Uh, I had it in my calendar, and to Mike, I really think it was his mistake, but uh he, he was calling me from a milking barn, and I was sitting down at my office when I took that message. Uh, I had him down for the next week, but uh, he had me down for that week, and uh, man, I missed the appointment. Well, there is one appointment that no one's going to miss. You're not going to forget it. You're not going to be overlooked. You're not going to overlook it. And I want to share some thoughts with you about that tonight. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to Second Tim or Second Peter, chapter three. And I want us to look at the second coming of Jesus and the appointment that we someday have with God. And I want us to think about our lives and are we ready for that appointment? Are we hoping for a delay, or or can we say, you know, if he comes back tonight, I'm I'm good with that. I'm ready. There are times in our lives when maybe we're closer to God than at other times. I know that we have ebbs and flows in our faith, and and sometimes we feel stronger and closer. But listen, the goal of a child of God is to have such a relationship with him that it doesn't matter when he comes. We're ready to go. And the longer that we live here on this earth, I think the, the more we develop the tendency to say, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Um, there, there are times, and, and I think it's stations in life. You know, you, if you're 18 years old, there's, you got a lot of living to do. You haven't graduated from high school yet. You haven't gone to college yet. You, you haven't declared a major yet. You haven't got into your field of study. You haven't married yet. You, you haven't had children yet. There, there's so many things that are yet to, and it's good that they're good things. God intended them for, to, for them to be good. And so I can see where an 18-year-old saying, not, not yet, I, I want to live a little. But 
look at the other end of that spectrum, somebody who's done all of that, and, and they're at a point in their life where they're, they have diminishing returns with their health, they're never going to get well. It's going to be a constant battle of the flesh uh, just just growing old. And they're tired and they're lonely. They've lost loved ones and friends and spouses. And, and you know, to that person, I can see where they would say, Lord Jesus, come quickly. As John prayed as he was in exile on the island of Patmos as an older man. But... This appointment is sure to come, but we don't know when it's going to happen. But I do know this, when it does happen, I will not miss that appointment. Whether living or dead, I will not miss that appointment. Let's look at what the Bible says in Second Peter chapter 3. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. You see, sometimes it's good just to remind you of things you already know. Uh, I, I love that song that we sing. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory. And But the, one of the verses, second or third verse says, I love to tell that story to those who know it best, uh, who hungering and thirsting. You know, don't you like to know the story of Jesus? Even though you've heard it before, does it not soothe your spirit and, and calm your soul and, and give you hope and confidence to face tomorrow? I like to tell the story to those who know it best. And that's what Peter's saying here. There are some things, I know you know this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I'm just going to remind you. Verse 2, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets... Uh, of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Savior, the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God, the heavens of old were uh, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire unto the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. In this chapter, Peter takes up two arguments for this appointment that we're all going to have with God. And he's going to make two very rational, reasonable arguments for why we're going to have this appointment. And the first argument that he makes is this. What makes us think that um, it's not going to happen since it already happened once before? You see, they were living in a time, oh, I don't know, 30, 35 years after Jesus had died. and And so there's like... And these Christians are running around saying, Jesus is coming again. And to the person on the street, they're, they're saying, what? The man was crucified. Come on. What's this Jesus is coming back stuff? If he was coming back, why wouldn't he have already come back? You see, they were, they were making fun of, they were ridiculing Christians who were, who were looking for the return of Jesus. And so they were saying things like, come on. Guys, listen, everything continues today like it always has. 
There's no evidence. There's no sign of Jesus coming back. There's no sign of some worldwide judgment that's going to take place on people like you've been saying. Everything has gone on just the same day in, day out from the very beginning of the creation. So what makes you think that there's going to be this great appointment that we have with this supposedly risen Savior? Well, Peter's argument against that is, hey, listen, number one, they willfully forget. You see, there was a flood once. When they say, oh, what, what are you talking about? A judgment, a worldwide appointment where God will bring people into accountability and, and judge them and condemn the wicked. What, what are you talking about? That's never happened before. Peter says, oh, yes, it has. You forget. Don't you remember the days of Noah? where God brought this flood upon the world and destroyed every living thing except for those things that were that breathed there that were on the ark. All of humanity was judged by God on this event. To say there's no precedence for a worldwide judgment is just not true. You willfully forget the flood and Noah and how God judged the world once before. The Bible tells us in Matthew 24 of that flood and how men were just going about doing their own thing, minding their own business, and then the flood was upon them. So Peter discredits the skeptics. And I can see the need to talk about that because if, if you're a Christian and you've heard this message and these guys are saying, yeah, well, where is he? Oh, you really believe he's coming back, do you? Well, how come he hasn't come? Where, where is he? Now they're having some, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to write this one down. Thank you, Peter, for telling me this because that's what, that's a good comeback. There, there's evidence of God's universal judgment on man. It's happened before. So if it's happened before, what makes it so unreasonable that it will not happen again? And then the second part, argument number two, begins in verse eight. Read with me. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements melt in fervent heat. Both the earth and the works therein it will be burned up. Argument number two. Peter just simply says this. The time elapsed has nothing to do with God keeping his promise. Thirty-five years or so have passed since the death of Jesus and he still hasn't come. Peter says, so what? You... you you can't go by that. You can't measure the truthfulness of God or the faithfulness of God by time. He said, a day of, to the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. Time means nothing to God. Well, it means everything to us. We measure everything by time. We, we, we have years and months and weeks and days in hours, and minutes, and seconds, time, we measure time. But to God, he, He's eternal. 
He transcends time. And so Peter says, listen, from God's standpoint, yeah, it's been a few years. From our standpoint, it seems like a long time. To God, it's nothing. Don't let that shake you. Oh, the Lord, the Lord will keep His promise. He won't undo what he said. The Lord will not be slack concerning the promise. But I'll tell you, one of the reasons why he's waited as long as he has is because he's long-suffering. Even during the time of the ark, God didn't, when he looked at man and saw that every thought and imagination of man's heart was wicked continuously, God didn't just snap his fingers right then and just bring them all to an end. He gave them a period of grace, a time where they could change and turn around and listen to the preaching of Noah but they still refused. God's long-suffering. And He's long-suffering with reference to the end as well. Now that suffering, long-suffering has, a, pay, uh, has a, a time limit. God can exhaust or we can exhaust His patience. But um, so Peter says, you know, two things. The fact that uh, it happened once means that it can happen again. And the fact that God doesn't count time like we count time should tell us that um, not, don't get disturbed because of the passing of time. And if that was relevant then, think of how much more relevant it is today. We've let 2,000 years pass since the coming of Jesus. And those who would be skeptical today and say, oh, you believe in this Jesus and that he's coming again? It's been 2,000 years where is his promise? Where is his coming? I am refreshed and uh, I, I am encouraged by the words of Peter. God doesn't count time like we do. Don't hold him to our time frame. He's faithful. He's long-suffering. But he will come. What will it be like when he comes? How will he come? Well, look at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Destroyed. Even the elements will melt with fervent heat. God will be done with this earth. This earth as... Thomas B. Warren used to say, is a veil of soul-making. It is a place where we can live and develop ourselves and to become godly, godlike. And, and we can prepare ourselves to live with Him throughout all eternity. And when that time of preparing ourselves is over, there's no more use for the world. And so God will destroy it. In the days of Noah, he destroyed it by a flood. In the days at the end, he'll destroy it by fire. He'll come as a thief in the night. There are no signs. There are no warnings. You know, we've talked about this before, but Matthew chapter 24 gives us various signs concerning the destruction of Jerusalem. He tells them so that they can escape this impending judgment of God on that city for their rejection of Jesus. And he gives them signs. You know, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be pestilence, earthquakes, famines. Uh, and when you see that last sign, the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel or the, the circling of the city by the Roman armies, he said, get out of town. 
run. Don't go back home for anything. Just run from roof to roof and get out of town. Pray that it be not on the Sabbath because the doors would be shut on the Sabbath. Pray that you not be pregnant because it sure would be hard to travel and run away if you're pregnant and with child. None of those things matter if we're talking about the second coming of Jesus. All of them matter if you're trying to escape a judgment on a city who had rejected Jesus and God was going to bring punishment upon them. All those signs that you read about in Matthew 24 that are often quoted with reference to the coming of Jesus and the end of the world, the signs are right. Look at the signs. Those signs had reference to the destruction of Jerusalem. But concerning that coming of Jesus, he says in Matthew 24, beginning in verse 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven. And he goes on and tells us, it'll be as in the days of Noah. People are marrying and giving and marrying, and and they're just going about. They, they think they have their whole life ahead of them. And then suddenly, the flood was upon them. That's the way the second coming of Jesus is going to work. As a thief in the night, a thief doesn't tell you when he's coming. You don't get a, a heads-up call. Probably sometime this week, I might be there some night. That doesn't happen with a thief. They come when you're not expecting it. And so, in view of that, since there is good reason to believe the Lord, that there will be a judgment... And since that judgment is coming at a time when we just do not have any clue when it's going to happen, what kind of person should we be? Look at what he says. Look at verse 11. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Therefore, or nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In view of the judgment, be holy. Live expectantly. Live as though he could come tomorrow. Be ready for his return. Be a holy person. And you don't have to worry about his coming. Folks, listen, there is a judgment. It's, it's universal. It's promised by God. And there's good reason. There's biblical evidence, historical evidence that God's done it before. He'll do it again. He's promised. I can't figure it out. I, I, there's no way for me to know when it's going to happen. There are no signs where I can... And folks, men have tried. And they've made a mess of it. Every time they've tried, they've been wrong. And it dis- discredits them and, and causes skeptics just to go on and on and on even more. There's no sense in trying to set dates. We don't know. The Father alone knows. So we need to be ready. And I, I guess the question I want to ask you tonight as we leave is this. Are, are you ready? Are you ready for the judgment, the return of Jesus? If you're not, you need to be ready. I, I can't impress upon you, and, and I've often thought, you know what? I guess maybe preachers think things like this, but what would you preach if you knew it was your last sermon? 
I've thought about that before and, you know, thought, tried to think of some things that I would try to say if I knew that it was the last sermon. The day will come when you will hear your last sermon, whether it's because you leave this world prematurely or whether it's because the Lord comes again. But the day will come when you hear your last sermon. The day will come when I preach my last sermon. I don't know when it'll be, but I would like to know that the last time that I spoke was a time when I encouraged people to do what's right and prepare themselves for the coming of God. I wonder sometimes if God doesn't say, let's see, let's let's give them one more time, one more chance. Let's give them one more Lord's Day, and then we're just going to wind this thing up. That day will come. And whether it's today or next Sunday or next Monday or whenever, I, I don't know. But if you're not ready for it, why gamble with your soul? Think of how many people, seriously, think of how many people will be lost. Not because they didn't know, but they just didn't get ready. They knew that appointment was there and they gave it no heed and they were caught unprepared. Don't let that be you. If you need to respond to the invitation tonight, if you need to be baptized into Christ tonight, we encourage you to do so. If you need to respond to the invitation by seeking the prayers of your brethren, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.